Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Welcome to our new abbreviated show format. Great for work-life balance for all of us hosting the show. But we're now on Saturday mornings live 9 to 10 and simulcast we're simulcast on 95.9 WETD out of Marshfield and also 980 AM out of Lowell. So this is a call and talk radio show. If any of our listeners have questions listening here on Saturday morning, 781-837-4900 is the call-in number. Happy to chat with anyone that has questions today about finance in general, but divorce in specific. So my guest this morning is our second appearance on the show, Allison. Yes. Attorney Allison Walsh with Walsh Law in, out of Hingham, sorry, Walsh Law Office out of Hingham. Allison joined me a couple months ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the spring. Yeah. And I thought we had a great conversation. We talked about a lot of different things that morning, like mm-hmm. a marathon show. I'm also with Sharon McNamara of Boston Connect. But shorter show this morning, hyper-focused on divorce, question, common questions that people have. We'll get into some of the finances, alimony, child support, splitting assets, stuff like that. But again, if anyone has questions for us, 781-837-4900. So good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Alyssa. I'm happy to be back. Thank you. Just if you want to take a moment to just introduce yourself, maybe give out your website content contact info, et cetera. Yeah, sure. So hi, everybody. My name is Allison Walsh. I am a family law attorney based out of Hingham, Massachusetts. That's where our main office is. I also have an office in Hyannis for our Cape Cod clients, but I do practice pretty much anywhere in Eastern Massachusetts. So I've got, I have a satellite office I can work out of in Danvers as well. So oh, okay. basically, so for the low listeners, I'm the whole Eastern side of Massachusetts. I handle the courts in that area. I've been practicing almost 20 years. I grew up on the South Shore. I have worked in Boston earlier in my career, did that whole you know, crazy hours and then yeah. tried to do better work-life balance yep. and tried to move move back down to the South Shore. So I live in Plymouth with my family, with my husband, my two stepchildren and yep. our pets. And yeah, I'm just happy to be here today. Awesome. Um, Thank my you. My website is www.allisonwalshlaw.com. Allison with two L's and one I. And like I said, we're in Hingham. Perfect. Thank you. And we were laughing the first time you gave out your website because I was like, who spells Allison with two I's? Right? Well, I guess I, some people spell it <laughs> Why? Oh, so okay, sometimes, okay, okay. that makes sense. Yeah, now. so sometimes right, you'll right. see like A L Y or A L Y. So okay. that's why I always say two L's and an I. All right, I'll give you that one. <laughs> okay, I was thinking like A L I I. Okay, I've seen all different spellings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. We wanted to focus on divorce this morning. We, we in preparation for the show, talked about common questions that you get. And we'll obviously, we want to get into some of the financial considerations that, financial considerations surrounding divorce. So let's, but I just wanted to start with how do people get started? What do they think about? And then maybe we'll get into some common questions that you receive from your clients. But just like for our listeners, how do people get started thinking about this? If they're talking with their spouse about divorce or even thinking it on their own, or if they've separated and they're, 
trying to go through the process of finalizing? Where do people start? Yeah, so I think people, uh, frankly, I think people start in all different places. Yeah. Where I see people start the most, I think sometimes people start thinking about it on their own. Yeah. I feel like usually it's not a joint conversation. I know Bill de Blasio in New York, his divorce has been, he's amicably divorcing his wife of many years, and okay. it's been a big thing in sort of the divorce world because they sat down and basically decided that they were done, and that's rare, I okay. think. I've been following it in the New York Times. Oh, okay. Um, so I if anybody's not, a so New I'm York not. Times reader. <laughs> okay. But that, I think, is more rare. I think okay. usually what happens is one party realizes that maybe they've just moved on yeah. in their life, and this isn't the right fit for them anymore. And so sometimes it's hard because people are in different places. Like some yeah. per- sometimes one person has already mentally moved on, and the other person is still very much in love and yeah. wants to keep the house or keep the family as it is. Yeah. So that can be tough. So I think a lot of times what I find is people start out just Googling divorce and you yeah. know, find, trying to get yeah. the basics. Oftentimes I'll meet with people pre-divorce. They're thinking about it. What do I do? How do I plan for it? Sometimes there's a catalyst moment where people just realize that it's over. Yeah. And unfortunately, some, unfortunately, we see that a lot around events that maybe there's infidelity or infidelity or, yeah, or I, was gonna, I was thinking to yeah. alcohol. Oftentimes there oh, might substance be abuse, substance sure. abuse sure. or some sort of domestic dispute. Yeah. There's, there's a, an argument that escalates and people yeah. are just like, that's it. So I think those are the reasons that I see people make a decision on a quick, faster basis right. without the pre-planning and thing, really thinking about it. If people are just kind of, that's it. I've I've got to, okay. I've got to make a yeah. make a move at this point. Those sort of three buckets, I think, cause people to move faster. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes I'll meet with people and then I don't hear from them for a year, and then because they're trying to figure it out and yeah. finances, and the they might go to works. Yeah. They might go to marital counseling to try to see if they can reconcile. So sometimes it's a long process to get from where that first seed starts in your mind to actually getting to okay, now we're going to start the official process. Yeah. Right? And you do mediation as well in your practice, right? I so do. What do you? And talk about that a little bit and that for amicable couples, I'm sure that's works well. And, you know, if you can work issues out outside of court, I'm sure that's recommended, right? If people can get through it. But what's your experience? Like people that start mediation, do they generally finish it or do they get to a point where they can't agree and then it just goes the traditional way of court and separate attorneys? Can you talk about that a little bit? I think people that come in with the mindset of they want to mediate and they want to make it work. I think those people make it work, right? I think people that want to, that they're, oftentimes I see too, I think there's a thin line between love and hate. So I think oftentimes people that have come to terms with the fact that their marriage is over and they just want to move on and do what's best for their kids, whether they're young or whether they're older or whatever, and just move on. Those are the folks that are successful at mediation where one party is maybe still hanging on to hope or something. I think that's where you have the thin line between love and hate. Too many emotions. That love becomes animus and then they they don't want to, they can't put ever put pen to paper. They're going to need somebody to tell them, okay, now you're getting divorced and that may be a judge, right? And that's the part that's tough. At the end of the day, a divorce is really almost like a business transaction. Sure, absolutely. But it's a business transaction with your- With tons of emotions. Tons of emotions (laughs) and everybody you love and your entire life history and families on both sides and- Huge change in your own life. And And so that's what, I represent so many small business owners, right? And if I said to them, okay, here's the number, write the check and you don't want to spend this much to go to court and fight this other business, they would 100% 
right. in two seconds go, yep, that's the right decision. It's so much harder to do that when all that those emotions and years of, I don't want to say baggage, but just history sure. are there and, sure. and people can't come to that same, I would say, rational decision or yeah. business, good business sense type of decision. Yeah. So for those couples that are amicable and both agree that this is the mm-hmm. right thing and can sit down and have a conversation without getting very heated, mediation is probably faster, right? And oh, for much sure. less expensive. Exactly. I would guess. And and yeah, so obviously a preferred way to go again where it works. Well, and it keeps your business out of the courthouse. That's sure. that's one thing too. Mediation is private. Ultimately, you do have to file documents with the court, but okay. everything's going to be said and done. There's always, if you're going to court and you're litigating, right, you're going to have multiple court dates. Sure. It's, you're in the Everyone county courthouse. Knows. There's a chance. You're so, airing your dirty Sometimes laundry. people yeah, run yeah, yeah. into, I run into people I know all the time. Right. I'm there more than most people, but it's not just other lawyers. It's your neighbors. It's, you right. know, someone you went to high school with. So you never, right. so it does, it keeps it in a more private forum. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like that. So for the couples that go through mediation, they sit down multiple sessions, I'm assuming, and they're talking about custody and, and alimony and child support and assets and all that stuff. And they, and you eventually get to the point where you come to an agreement, right? There's a draft or, or I guess a final document where everyone's agreed on, yep, this is a good way to go. But eventually that does need to go to court, right? Correct. And and is it common that a judge would just approve it and, okay, they've been through mediation and this all looks great? Or is it, does it most often just breeze through the court system or is there like often where a judge is like, no, I don't like this. You got to do X, Y, Z different. Talk about the end result there for someone going through mediation. I would say if the case is mediated properly and meaning that the standard for the courts is that the agreement has to be fair and reasonable given the length of the marriage. And what's fair and reasonable for a really short marriage might not be or is not fair and reasonable if you've been together for 20, 25 years. The idea being that if you got married two years ago, and I'll give you the classic example. People get married, they maybe buy a house together, they don't have any kids, they realize two years in, this isn't working. Yeah. You sell the house, you split the proceeds, you move on. Okay. Right? And yeah. oftentimes at that you point- keep your own assets that you had accumulated. Keep your own stuff that yep. you had. You yep. keep your, and a lot of times they might even not have a joint bank account at that point right. if people get married and they usually, the things become more commingled once there are kids usually. Sure. Yep. So that would be a classic example, right? Just everybody walks away, keeps yeah. their own stuff, yeah. no harm, no foul. You can't do that after 20, 25 years. Yeah. The courts yeah. are gonna say at that point, they really start to look at, they want something that's much closer to 50-50, if not a 50, 50 split because of the fact that how do you untangle that? How do you start to look backwards and say, obviously, if there's a prenup or something, right? Some people have a prenuptial agreement. About 10% of couples, I think, get prenups. Okay. That makes it easier because it literally spells out how to handle it. But absent that, the courts are going to say, because oftentimes maybe one spouse stayed at home for a few years to raise the kids and then they they missed out on work opportunities. You have to start to really look at the pros and cons of everything. And over over so many years, like the way the courts look at it is it just Just, needs to be an even break. Yeah, it's too hard to dig through it all. So if I mediated something, even if the parties came in and say wanted to say I have a 20 year marriage and one party says I want to keep 80% of the stuff and the other party says I'm fine with that, there's a good chance that a judge is going to look at that and say, I don't feel oh, okay. comfortable yeah. with this. Yeah, okay. If it came in and it was 55-45, yeah, that's probably not going to be a problem. Okay. It's not exactly 50-50, sure. but it's close enough. Sure, like, and if they've agreed on it. It sure. has to be fair and reasonable okay. under the circumstances. Okay. And that's really, and that's the, what the judge is looking for, okay. knowing those ideas in the back of their mind. Let's come back to maybe more of a traditional divorce where the parties aren't communicating well and can't go through mediation. And so one maybe is just filing for divorce and whether the other knows about it or not, I guess. So, <laughs> so again, coming back 
back to where do people get started? It, do people normally file for divorce first and then meet with an attorney? And then or what do I do from here? Or I guess what do people do, number one? And what do you recommend people do? I'm assuming you recommend they meet with an attorney first. Yeah. <laughs> make a plan. It totally goes a little but, bit more smoothly. Yeah. <laughs> I think... But again, emotions and some emotions. people, just, you are saying it, some people just file emotionally very quickly, just want to get through it, get it done, and then can deal with the consequences after that. But yeah, talk about that a little bit. Right. So, so I think most people will come in and meet first because I get it. Most people don't want to go to the, don't understand the court system. What I hear most often from my clients is they're like, we, I say we have to go to court and it might just be to have the, that final agreement approved or whatever. And they say, yeah. I've never been to court before. Yeah. And I yeah. always say, that's a good thing. Yeah. The only people that are in court on a regular basis are lawyers and frankly people that are probably getting arrested. Those are the right. ones that are like good at going to court. Yeah. So if you've never been to court or you've only been to court once, that means you're probably a good upstanding yeah. citizen. <laughs> so you shouldn't yeah. know how it goes. So that's very common. So usually people come to me first because they don't, it's it's something they don't know how to navigate. Yeah. I wouldn't even know how to file for divorce other than nor I guess you Google file for divorce in Mass. Yeah, yeah. Nor should you. Yeah. What am I filing? That, that's not yeah. something that yeah. we learn in high school or college <laughs> right. or whatever. Everybody goes into a marriage thinking that's going to end like that. Yeah. I yeah. think everybody knows you go to the town hall to get the marriage license and yeah. then beyond that's... Yeah. Yeah. So I think most people will come to a lawyer first because yeah. it's just if you're doing your taxes, you go to your CPA, right? You go yeah. to the person that knows how right. to get that done. That's what I see most often. But sometimes people will come in and to your point about the emergency circumstances, something happened yeah. that really was an infidelity or whatever in a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. I need to get, so they just go down to the courthouse and talk to somebody there and say, I need to file for okay. divorce. And they might walk them through how to get oh, that in, that initial paperwork done, but it's what's the next step? How do I get to that next step? Yeah. The initial paperwork's actually pretty easy. It's the pieces after that. Here's that your got, name. Here's your address. It's just yeah, Here's the name info. of my spouse, probably. Here's my marriage certificate okay. to show I'm actually married to them. Yeah. Those sorts yeah. of things are pretty, pretty easy to get the paperwork together for that. Yeah. But then after that, obviously it gets a lot more complex. So yeah. then, so a lot of times I would say people come in and they have the initial paperwork and they say, where do I go from here? How is the spouse notified? Or, and how is the spouse notified? So the court generates what's called a summons. So it's an yeah, official okay. kind of document that has the raised seal and the whole deal. And ultimately what's going to happen is the spouse either gets notified. Sometimes they figure it out because they the spouse tells them. Yeah. So sometimes it's they sure. tell them. Sometimes if it's very contentious and for some reason they're not speaking, a constable can serve them or the sheriff. Um, oh, okay. They can actually get served with paperwork like you see in the like movies. Like you see in the movies. Is this your name? I try not yeah. to do that. That's yeah. not really... I don't love that if we can avoid yeah. it. Sometimes we'll send a letter yeah. and say, hey, we've been retained. Yeah. Your spouse would like a divorce. Oh, I see. Okay. You, do, you know, yeah. do you have your, have your lawyer call us? Okay. And then that kind of, then we can deal with the paperwork through the lawyers. That's a better way to do it, I think. Yeah. But those are the three ways that oftentimes the part, one of them says, I want a divorce or something. So it's not a surprise. Sure. I would imagine it's not often Right, because they're still married. Yeah. Right, they're still right, talking. Right. So that's yeah. the part that's different too than yeah. kind of other court cases because usually it's not, sometimes these people are still living in the same house together and they're yeah. they're going through a, a court action, which is unique, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you first get a phone call or you first sit down with a new client and they haven't filed for divorce, but they would like to proceed with divorce and it, what's your advice? Like, where do people start? What do they start? What are the first things, I don't know, three, five things that they need to do or think about at the very beginning of the process? Hold that thought while we take a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money with today's guest, divorce law expert, Allison Walsh. We'll be right back. 
This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we're back with today's guest, divorce law expert, Allison Walsh. Yeah. So the first thing, first thing I always ask is, do you have kids and how old, how old they are? Because if they're young kids, the kids really become the focus, I think, up front of the case, because ultimately we're going to deal with the finances and obviously it's a financial show. I know that's where you would come in more or less up in the immediate. If somebody's going to be moving out of the house and getting an apartment, how are we going to see the kids? Who's going to have the kids on what day? Who's taking to soccer? Who's picking up after dance? So some of those things that they've probably never really thought about, they've just been going, hey, can you grab the kids or whatever? Now, they actually have to have a plan, right? And potentially a plan that might even need to be approved by the court. So if there are young kids, I feel like that kind of takes a little bit of the focus up front to figure out those logistical issues. And then if there's going to be child support, who's going to be paying for soccer, who's going to be paying for dance, those sorts of things need to be figured out faster than maybe dividing up your 401k, right? That can wait a little bit. That can wait, yeah. It's not going anywhere, likely. Although uh, we'll get into assets in a moment, but one thing I think people worry about is if they're not addressing the division of the assets right away, and if the relationship is contentious, right? How are they, I'm sure people want to know, how do I know? that he's not taking money out of his 401k and I can't, I don't know where all of his assets are. I shouldn't always say he, she, they can go both ways. Right, like, they can both. T- can you just talk about that for a minute? We do want to get into assets a little bit later in the show, but just yeah. while that came up. Yeah. So that's a great question. So when you file for divorce, there's something that, that's called an automatic restraining order goes into effect. And people think restraining orders of that you can't go near your yeah, ex yeah. because you might hit them or something. Right. This is a different type of restraining order. This is a financial okay. restraining order. And it basically says that you can use your bank account for your regular living expenses, pay your bills, pay your credit cards, whatever. But you can't take out a huge chunk of money and move it to the Cayman Islands. Sure, you yeah. can't yeah. put it in an offshore account. And then what? the second piece, once we talk about the kids stuff, right? Because I feel like that's always number one. The second piece is within 45 days, you have to have a mandatory financial disclosure. So there's certain yeah. documents, tax returns, bank statements, yeah. 401k statements that need to be automatically swapped with the other party so that you can start to track and see if there are any sort of suspicious yeah. transfers. And then if so, you have the ability to follow up through subpoenas or whatever you need to be able to ferret that out. Yeah. And I understand how, why people would be concerned about that. And how do I don't know how to log in to see this account. I don't know how much is there. Like what what if he or right. she moves XYZ money and I don't know about it. Like I can understand how people can be concerned about that. Mm-hmm. But you and I know that it's just a simple matter of we can just get historical statements going back however far we need to or what's allowed. Right. And, and a financial professional certainly could or a legal professional could certainly go through and figure out and track money and stuff like that. You and I know that it's easy to track that stuff, but right. a lot of people, people don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's sometimes it's as easy as saying that went to a, an account at Bank X. Let's you know subpoena yeah. Bank X, and then you find out. Sometimes right. it's a little bit more complicated. In complicated situations, we get involved with accountants or financial professionals or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and you get to the bottom of it. I found a house once that oh. somebody <laughs> owned in Rhode Island that. Oh, the, the other, other one didn't know that. about. Oh, so once in a while, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so tax returns can reveal quite a bit. Yeah. Well. yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. We, oh, we have to take a break in a couple minutes, but let's, let's quickly talk about child support and alimony. I would assume that those, we can't quickly talk about that. We'll get into it after the break. But so I don't know where to start. Like how, 
child support is if there are kids, mm-hmm. right? In the home, child support is that take precedence over calculating alimony or I don't know. Where do we start with that? What are the typical calculations regarding child support? Does somebody have to put together a budget and prove what they're spending on their kids or is it like a percentage of income? Can we talk about it's, where to begin with child it, support? It's more like a percentage of income. Okay. So there's every three years or so, there's a commission at the state house in, the, in Boston that kind of meets and recalculates based on cost of living and okay. all those sorts of things and tries yeah. to come up with a formula. Okay. So basically it's like an algebra two problem, right? Okay. If you want to think yeah. back to your algebra class in high school, but there's calculators online. Okay. There's a formula to it, but effectively for us, it's like you plug in the numbers and it basically runs off of both parents' gross income. There are some credits for payment of health insurance, payment of daycare, childcare expenses, dental insurance, things like that. Yeah. And then the a number pops out. Typically, I would say if the kids live with one parent most of the time, yeah. you're probably talking about 20 to 22% of the other parents' gross income. Okay. Roughly. And it yeah. varies, again, depending on some of the credits, but just yeah. ballpark-ish if people are thinking. And then if the parties share, more and more we see parties that are sharing equal, 50, yeah, 50-50. 50, yeah. 50. And in that case, there'd be a much smaller number. If So if one party made more than the other, yeah. one parent made more than the other, there might be a small payment to the one that makes less. But it goes down significantly if there's a 50-50 because obviously both pa- parents yeah, have to buy a lot of the stuff. food and yeah. stuff like that. Okay, exactly. so that was one of my questions. How are the calculations? Calculations different when custody is different. We'll talk about alimony after the break, but when custody is 50-50 and they're both paying for certain things while the kids are with them, travel or groceries and of course housing Same. and things like that, then the calculation is so basically the lower earning parent might receive a small amount of child yeah, support. They would, they right? would still get child support, but it would be a much smaller amount than if the kids lived with them 75% of the time or right. 66% of the time or whatever. And do, okay, so it's just a straight up calculation based on income. I was just thinking about the, in the mediation process, is it common for couples to we'll put together like a list of expenses and this is what we actually spend on our kids and what if it's different from that 22% that you just mentioned? Right. I guess that's where mediation, it can be different from going, going to, court to court and getting divorced because then it can be more of a, an agreement based on reality versus a straight up calculation. Yeah, so you're allowed to, so if you go to court, it's going to basically be the straight up calculation, yeah, right? Yeah, because frankly, you're they not don't, talking and agreeing on stuff anyway. No, so and, yeah, they, and they yeah. don't have the time, frankly, yeah. to go, the judge yeah. has a bunch of cases. It's like easier to just plug the numbers in sure, and get the number, sure, right? Yeah. And yeah, if you go through mediation, a lot of times, and some parties will do that, they'll say, okay, we're going to split all these expenses equally or whatever. Courts can definitely approve those agreements. You've okay. got to just give them reason why yeah. and show yeah. again that fair and reasonable, right? Yeah. If it's going to be, it's going to be bankrupting one parent. Right. You're not going to do it. Then that's yeah. the court yeah. steps in. All right. We're just taking a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You can check us out at McNamaraFinancial.com. I'm joined this morning by Allison Walsh, who's a family law attorney with Walsh Law Office. We're just taking a quick break, and we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 